right, Philippians chapter 2, let's get going. If you have a Bible, you can open it there with me. As you're doing that, turn to someone next to you. Here's what I want you to think this morning, think through at least. Uh, Who have been your spiritual examples in life? Who have you looked to uh, as you sought to pattern your life uh, for Jesus, after Jesus? Who have been your earthly human examples of that? Uh, Go, just talk to each other about those things or those people. Oh, very good. Everybody's chatty. Maybe you're just talking about lunch, <laughs> which is a horrible miscarriage. Horrible miscarriage. All right, that's enough. Hey, you don't have to list all of them. Come on, settle down. All right, uh, count of three. Everybody's going to say the, the first one that came to mind. Everybody ready? One, two, three. Oh, I'm so glad that they were uh, helpful to you, all of those people. Uh, I heard mom kind of loud. Uh, one of mine was my mom. Uh, one of mine was my first official youth pastor. I had several youth leaders, but as a senior in high school, I met a guy named Jack, and God used him uh, in ways uh, to just push me forward in, in life with Christ. Uh, uh, I've had many others, as I'm sure you have had as well, and we're going to talk about the example that Christians can make for other examples as they seek to follow Jesus Christ. We're going to meet a couple of them in our letter today. Uh, they're friends of a guy named Paul who wrote this letter uh, from prison in Rome, probably, uh, to his church friends, his uh, you know, uh, fellow believers in Philippi. He was instrumental in the starting of this church, and uh, now years later, he's writing them to encourage them and to thank them. He's uh, received a gift to, uh, from them to himself uh, in, in his uh, aid in, in prison. Uh, sometimes uh, passages in the Bible are easier to preach. I don't know if you have pieces of your job that are easier at times than others. Uh, this is one of those places in the Bible where things just kind of uh, read off as, as, as a more matter-of-factly. It's a travel log, not Paul's. He's in prison. He's not going anywhere. But he's basically saying, hey, guys in Philippi, I hope to send you two people, Timothy, uh, a longtime accomplice of Paul in the ministry, and uh, Epaphroditus, who was probably the deliverer of the uh, original letter that Paul's responding to and the carrier of the gift uh, that came uh, with it. Um, so he's, he's wanting to send Tim and E. Can I call him E? for the Because Epaphroditus is just a bunch. It comes, uh, this is interesting, uh, Epaphroditus, Aphrodite is the root of this Greek man's name. Uh, and uh, so apparently his uh, parents might have been uh, worshipers of Aphrodite. They wanted to honor this Greek god. And so this Christian guy, Epaphroditus, uh, is now in the church. And uh, uh, we're going to call him E. It's just easier. Um, Paul has been, uh, for this last few weeks that we've been studying this letter, in instruct mode. He starts out in the first chapter basically saying, here's me, thanks so much, I'm doing fine, prison's great, literally he says that. I'm able to share the gospel with all kinds of people. And, um, and he, but after you know, saying all the things personally about himself, he, he turns his attention to the Philippians and begins pastoring them as he is wont to do as the apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, He starts in verse 27 of chapter 1, and he says, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what follows from there is basically how that looks or how that should occur in their experience. He basically tells them, first of all, that a gospel-worthy life seeks harmony with others. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Is everybody getting the unity of that, the, the, the harmony of the church 
that Paul is espousing. Uh, he, he goes on to explain harmony is impossible without personal humility. Harmony depends on it. Do nothing, he says, from selfish ambition in the next verse or from conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And lead each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Riffs on that for a while as he uh, continues to write. And then in verse 12, we get to what we talked about last week. Harmony and humility require effort. And he, he says to the Christians in Philippi and to us a couple thousand years later, hey Christians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We understood from last week that that doesn't mean work for your salvation. That's not how it works. It's a gift given to us and it's by faith that we receive it. But he does say that once you've received this gift, like he wrote to the Ephesians, you are the workmanship of Christ created for good works in him that he's prepared before you were even a Christian so that you might meet him in those things and serve him. Working on your salvation, working in your salvation. Not working for it, but working it out. He will work in us. It says God works in us to bring about his will and his work. And uh, uh, that's where we ended last week. Now, the question I want us to answer today as we meet these two guys, Tim and E, is uh, how can we possibly know what these things look like? Well, thankfully, uh, God sent his only son. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. Good song. Uh, and he lived uh, 2,000 years ago the pattern that we're meant to live, and we have it recorded in our books. But then there's been many, millions, billions in the 2,000 years uh, that have proceeded from his life here on earth uh, that have become examples for us. I pray that I'm an example to you as your pastor. I pray that you are an example to those in your home and to those in your life of what it is to follow Jesus. We need to find the templates that God has given us uh, and the people around us and learn from them. This is the Christian life. It's, it's a watch and learn experience. I remember uh, as a young pastor learning about uh, the ER code of uh, developing new EMTs. It's see one, share one, do one. So if you're going to, you know, basically respond to, you know, some emergency, the first couple times you, you arrive at a scene, you're just going to watch the actual EMTs do this and just try to get a sense of what's going on. And then they're going to bring you in and you're going to share in that with them. And then eventually you're going to be the EMT who teaches others because you're the one doing it, right? See one, share one, do one. It's the same thing in most of the stuff that we experience in life. If you're good at your job, you probably had someone who was really good at it help you with it or maybe show you how not to do it. Has anybody had that? Mentally? Yeah, anyway, uh, uh, but there's been someone down the line that has been your example in the same way uh, that uh, Paul is, is basically espousing his friends as the examples for the Philippians. Um, he's in essence saying, watch where they walk and walk where they went. Uh, when I was a little kid, I lived in the woods in eastern Canada, in New Brunswick, Canada, and it was just littered with creeks. And so these were too wide for us as little kids to get across, and so we would throw rocks as little bridges to get across these creeks. Anybody been to one? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, if you come across a creek at a kid's house that you're visiting to play G.I. Joe's with, uh, you're not sure where the rocks are. And, and, and even more so, you're not sure where the good rocks are. Has anybody ever stepped on a rock in a creek that was not a good rock? just kind of slid out from underneath you and you slid out and became one with the water in the creek, right? And so I had a friend, Joey Youngblood, uh, I went to visit him to play G.I. Joe's one day and he says, hey, let's go over here in the back of the woods and we can play like, you know, G.I. Joe's on a mission in the woods. And I'm like, great. But there was a creek between us and the woods. And I, he said, all right, be careful. This rock, this rock, this rock. And I was like, what? He's like, just watch me. And he, you, you guys have done it. 
And then you're across. And I did the exact same thing. Kept me out of the water. Overdone here a little bit. But the point is this. See what someone's doing. If they're doing it right, follow them in it. Walk where they walk as they walk. In a little bit, in Paul's letter, he's going to actually say this very specifically to his friends in Philippi. In the third chapter, we'll get to it here later in the summer. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Watch those who are doing it as they do it. And mimic their choices, their actions. Put another way, watch and learn from those who live on the bright side. It's with that in mind that we turn to these travel plans reported to us by Paul of his friends Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, uh, Like I said, difficult. It doesn't say a whole lot of do this, not that. It just basically describes these men. But even in their description, uh, we have a template that we can follow. Let me preach that to you today. It starts in verse 19 of chapter 2. If you're there in your Bibles, uh, let's go. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Uh, This was the communication system. This was the texting of the uh, first century. (laughs) You would actually send someone on a ship to a place Uh, And then they would write you back, and someone else would deliver that letter. No post office, no UPS. Um, It would take a while. But his hope is in sending his friend Tim. He will in turn receive a message from Tim about what's going on there. And Paul says, I hope I hear good news. He said it just like that. I'm going to skip down to verse 23 because he kind of wraps this up, and then we'll go back to verses 20 through 22. But he says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me referring to Timothy, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So two things here. Uh, I'm going to send Tim as soon as he's done here. We don't know what he's doing there, that he has to wait before he goes, some kind of pastoral ministry, maybe to Paul, maybe to the church if he's in Rome. He's he's perhaps got duties there, Uh, but we all understand that from work. People call us, I need you right now, and he says, I can, you know, and I got to do what I got to do, and I'll be there as quick as I can. This is kind of the same thing with Paul and Tim. I'm going to send him as soon as is, is you know, possible and, and so that you can be with you. And I trust also, even though I'm in prison, that things are going to go well with my case and shortly I'll be able to join him and Epaphroditus uh, with you in Philippi. That's his hope. Remember uh, Josh, uh, our pastor, middle school pastor, talked about Paul debating that. Should I you know, hope to see you again or, or just hope that my life ends sometimes? So for me to live as Christ, to die as game. He says, but I hope to come and see you. And he reiterates that um, here. Before I go on, can I just point out something? This little sermon sidebar. Uh, Paul, in, in stating uh, his plans, says two things. In chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord. And in verse 24, as he's discussing his own travels to Philippi, he says, I trust in the Lord. You know, look at Paul's writings. He, he constantly writes with an open hand. He's like, all right, this is, what, this is my plan, but it's not up to me. This is my little sermon sidebar for everybody today. I don't know what you're planning today, but I'm letting you know it's not up to you. I don't know what your hopes are for the future, but I'm letting you know it's not up to you. It's not yours to determine. So make your plans, but hold them like this, not like this. We hope in the Lord. We trust in the Lord. We understand, like Paul told uh, his new friends in Athens, that it's in him that we live and move and have our being. He's in charge. We are not. 
He loves us, we trust him, we hope in him, and we accept what he gives, going as he leads. Sermon sidebar over. Back to the things that we have for this morning. So Paul Paul details his friends, Tim and E's, uh, travel plans. Uh, But he he does it in a way that he's uh, expansive. He could have just said, so Tim's coming, and then Epaphroditus is coming. Look for him. Peace. No, he he expands on on these men, their character. He talks about them in ways uh, that they uh, come to light as suitable examples for the Philippians, not only to accept into their church, but to emulate in life. So we're going to talk about being like Tim and being like Paul. Let's talk first about, about being like Tim. Going back again to verse 19, it says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of Tim. And here comes the description. For I have no one like him. That was a song by the Scorpions back in the, there's no one like you. Anyway, uh, sorry. Free foreman. Uh, I have no one like him who will be uh, genuinely concerned for your welfare. Lots of time, Greek words are, are uh, four or five English words in their translation. That, that phrase, I have no one like him, is one Greek word. It's iso, uh, isopsukos. Uh, it, it's a great word. Sukos is psychos or psycha. Uh, it, it, it not only means our mind, but it means our soul. And more accurately, it, it depicts the soul of a person. So iso means same, and sukos means soul. And Paul says, Timothy is a same soul dude with me. We share the same soul, the same innards. The things that drive me drive Tim. I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. Um, It's been 10 years probably. Uh, This letter was written around 61, 62 AD. Um, uh, Paul meets uh, Timothy in a place called Lystra in Acts chapter 16. Uh, He meets him. He's a young Christian. He takes him under his wing. And for 10 years, Tim has been kind of bebopping around the Mediterranean with Paul at different times, serving as his like intern. What's up, Jason? His intern and learning how to be a leader in the church. He's eventually going to be the pastor. In a few years, he's going to go and serve and be the pastor in a church called Ephesus, in a place called Ephesus. Uh, but, but he's currently with Paul wherever he is in prison. We think Rome. And he's just kind of hanging out with him. And Paul says, I can't go prison. So I'm sending you Tim. But here's what I'm telling you right now. I'm sending you the best I got. I got no one else like him. Why? Because we share the same heartbeat for Jesus. Now, I love all of our staff. I'm so grateful, truly, for each member of our team. Love you guys if you're sitting in this room. Uh, grateful for each one of you in the years that I've logged with you. But there's one person on our staff that I've known longer than anybody else. His name's Tom. Uh, he's not here this weekend. He's the tall guy, does 1017 most of the time. Tom and I were uh, youth pastors in Dallas, Texas together. I, I, I hired him as my middle school pastor when I was a high school pastor. Uh, I saw all of his kids be born. His daughter, I think, is 24. So it's been almost 25 years that I've known Tom. And I don't know if you've got someone like Tom in your life that you've just done life with. But you know, if he's here, he represents me and my interests. I don't have to worry about him or him doing anything crazy and coming off half-cocked. He's just going to do the right things at the right times. Not perfect, but I trust him, right? That's my boy Tom. And Pete, or, uh, Paul has the same uh, feelings about his boy Tim. How should we be like Tim? Um, 
Uh, that's the question that I want to answer next. How should we be like Tim? The first one was we read there in that verse. We should have genuine concern for others in life. He says, for I, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned with your welfare. That word genuinely is the Greek word uh, geiseos. It, uh, it means, uh, or geneseos, I'm sorry, geneseos. It, it's the root that we get the words genetics or genealogy from. It's a family word. Uh, it means uh, that uh, my friend, uh, Tim, has this like family trait. And he's not referring to like his earthly family, uh, who are also Christians, we know that from Scripture, but he's referring more specifically to the birthright that he was given in his spiritual renewal. Uh, he has become someone like Christ who loves regardless. Everybody gets that about the love of God, right? It's a love regardless. It's a love anyway kind of love. I'm going to love you no matter what you do to me. I'm going to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. I'm going to love, 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 love. It's just who I am. It's who I've been born to be in Christ. So when Paul says that he is genuinely concerned for you, he has this inbred, inborn spiritual heart for your well-being. The word concern there is translated in other parts of our Bible with the word anxiety. Like he's, he's stressing, not in a bad way, but he is fully given uh, to, the, to the needs of the Philippian church. And he's not going to kind of, you know, go halfway on this stuff. He's not in it for hidden agendas. There's no quid pro quo, which I think is Latin for you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Now, he just couldn't help himself. Paul writes about this compulsion in his letter to the Corinthians. The second time he writes Corinth, uh, he says this, for uh, the love of Christ controls us. It compels us to love you, to live not for ourselves, but for the sake of the one who has died and who has been raised from the dead. That word compels is one of my favorite preaching words. It's this uh, word that means hemmed in. I got, I, I got to do this. I'm going to love you. Here I go. Oh, the love of Christ compels me. Love, love, love. Right? It's this overwhelming sense of I got to do this. It's who I am. It's how I roll. Uh, Tim has already cared enough to make the journey. Everybody gets he's not making a bunch off of this, this gig, right? Tim's kind of doing this, you know, for whatever people will provide for he and Paul. Uh, he's not climbing some ladder. He's given his life uh, to the genuine concern of other people. He's been able to do that because of the next thing we find out about him. He's put the interests of Jesus ahead of his own. And so if you and I are going to be like Tim, we're going to have to have a genuine concern, a concern that comes from our heart for Jesus for other people. It's not rooted in what we'll receive, it's rooted in what we can give. But that comes from, and only comes from, uh, a mindset, a, a, a conviction that puts the, the interests of Jesus ahead of our own. It says in verse 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus. He's, he's referring, who's the all? He's referring to the other options that he has in sending someone on his behalf from where he is to where they are. Now, we've, we've met some of these potential ministry uh, partners 
uh, in the first chapter. Does anybody remember when Paul was talking about the gospel being preached? He says there's some uh, in the Roman church, if that's where he is in Rome, uh, who are preaching the gospel, but they're preaching it for the wrong reasons. They're seeking to get a leg up uh, you know, in reputation uh, over my imprisonment. They're trying to put me down even as they lift Jesus up. And you remember what Paul said? All right, fine. Not how I would do it, but as long as the gospel is preached, so be it. Now, if this is who he's referring to, we can understand why he's not eager to send them to the Philippians. Because these guys who are doing ministry and preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons are not the example that he wants set for his friends in Philippi. He wants someone who seeks not his own interests, but instead seeks the interests of Christ Jesus. Someone who's not in it for themselves, not in it for the selfie photo, right? Not in it for the, the way that they will appear to men and perhaps for what it will garner them in their relationships with them. Uh, Eleanor and I took uh, a young lady named Chelsea in years ago. Uh, she was still uh, hanging out at our house on a regular. Uh, when we got into the new the house that we have, there's, there's a lake near our house, and so uh, Eleanor's bought a, a two-man kayak with me. Uh, she likes it more than I do, I'll confess that. But, uh, uh, but we get in it sometimes, and it just sits in our, our, uh, our, our, our backyard. Chelsea comes over with her friend. They're like, we're going kayaking. And so they get in this kayak, and they push off, and they paddle 10, 15 feet out from shore, they get out their phones, they take pictures of themselves in the kayak on the water, and then they come back to shore. <laughs> and they post pictures saying, kayaking, killing it, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And I'm like, not, right? If you didn't do like four pulls on the oars or whatever that thing, paddle, uh, that's not kayaking. That's a photo op. And there's too many Christians who have photo op Christianity. They're, they're basically in it for how it makes them look, the standing it gives them in their, their family or in, in the church family, and they haven't progressed to the example that we're given in Timothy. They're still seeking their own interests ahead of those of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, may that not be us. May we learn from Tim. I'm trying to learn that. Uh, uh, he's already, uh, Paul's already told us to humble ourselves like Jesus humbled himself. I'm trying to stay humble. You need to stay humble. That's the example that Timothy has provided for us. He puts the interests of Jesus ahead of himself. That's how things truly grow. Now, if you've ever uh, heard the stories in the news about churches uh, where the pastors or the leadership in the churches got a little bit ahead of Jesus uh, and, and sought the sunshine or the, the spotlight more than him, uh, those are the churches that make the wrong kind of headlines. Why? Because it, it ceases to be about our Savior and uh, starts to be about the, the person representing him on the stage. And may that never be here. Just so you know, I, I guard against that. I get in, in these meetings with other pastors, and the first question, I've told you this before, they always ask is how many people go to your church? And I always told them, uh, tell them more than 11 and they press me, and I'm like, that's all you're getting out of me. I'm not playing. It doesn't matter how many people go to this church. And I don't even want to think about how many people go to this church in that context because all of a sudden I'm going to be here, they're going to be here, and there's going to be another one here. And instead of us focusing on Jesus, we're focusing on this. So let's be like Tim. Let's have genuine concern, a, a concern that emanates from our love for Christ. Let's have... Uh, 
you know, a, a heart that puts Jesus first in all things. And then let's serve God. I'm skipping over some stuff, Josh. Uh, serve God as an encourager of his servants. Look at what it says in verse 22. Uh, but you know, verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth. It's going to show up on your screen in just a second. There it is. You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Uh, uh, you're like, they know this? Yeah, actually, Timothy was with Paul when he started the church in Philippi. So they're familiar with him. And they've seen him in action. And they know how he has acted as Paul's second or as his servant, even as he has sought to point at their church. He's been like a son, a spiritual son to me, his spiritual father. He's been submitted and faithful. A fellow servant, a duleson, a servant with me in the gospel. He's served God and he has served you. And Paul speaks of here his service that uh, Timothy has given him. He's there in prison with him. Uh, he's going to deliver this letter for him. He's up for it, whatever it is. I love when I hear about sons following in their dad's footsteps. I know many of you own businesses. Your sons have kind of, you know, uh, been a part of that with you. Uh, some of them have their own businesses now in that same vein. Some are pulling weeds uh, for the summer, uh, working with their dad. Yeah, Rusty's kid, Coy's doing that. Um, I've just loved watching father-son relationships, uh, especially the ones where the guys are doing it unbegrudgingly. Uh, uh, because it just shows me, it's not just I have a job, this is my dad. And I want to honor him and love and I want to do for him and follow in his footsteps and, and emulate him in life. Uh, there's, listen, look, listen to me. There is something so heavenly, so uh, life-giving uh, in being someone's encourager in life. And being that, that Timothy to someone's Paul, uh, being that servant who uh, doesn't need to be in control, who's just willing to come alongside, lead with, uh, you know, minister with in whatever way uh, is necessary. I can't believe I forgot them. They're on my desk. Can everybody picture a big stack of cards? <laughs> They're on my desk. I'll bring them next service. Uh, but I, I have this file of, of cards. They're almost all from one sender. There's some others in there. Uh, but for the past 15 years of my being your pastor, there's someone in here called Grateful Members. And every month they send me a card. And I have most of them. And the message is typical. It's usually along the same lines, praying for you, so grateful for you. Love how you preach. I found one. That's great. Uh, 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 just, you know, so honored by your leadership. Just I mean, it's just this big, gushy, smushy, love fest card, right? And they send it to me every month and send me an extra one on my birthday and at Christmas. And whoever you are, thank you again uh, for doing that. And that, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Asterisk. I'm not wanting more grateful member cards, okay? That's not what this is. It's not a plea for more anonymous cards. But it is my telling you, as your pastor, as your shepherd, as someone in the ministry, it is the lifeblood on some days of Christ himself to me. I can't tell you how often these things arrive on the day that it needs to be here most. Has anybody ever noticed that about God's timing? Not always, but like on the days where you're like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Grateful members. All right, I'll open this one again. Here we go. And it's enough to keep you going. Listen, 
Look at me. There are Christians in your world, in your sphere of influence and touch that God needs you to be a Tim to as they seek to serve God, however they're serving him in whatever capacity they're serving him in. And as iron sharpens iron, as we come to each other's aid and encourage each other, we keep going. That's why you're so, you know, fussed out about harmony. Stay together. We need each other. Just like I, Paul, have needed and have been blessed by Tim. Let me just quickly deal with Epaphroditus. Need to be like Tim. Why? Because he's got genuine concern. He puts Jesus ahead of himself. And he's a servant to those who serve. He gives so that others might give on Jesus' behalf. But now he turns his attention to this other uh, uh, sendee. He's going to send Epaphroditus. And so we want to be like E, Epaphroditus. Let me tell you the story about Epaphroditus. Again, uh, the, the messenger almost undoubtedly of this initial gift that Paul is responding to. Uh, he's been hanging out wherever Paul is, probably Rome, uh, and, and, and has actually gone through an incredible trial in either his journey to Paul or in the time that he's been there with Paul. He's fallen deathly ill. And Paul's going to comment on that next. He's going he's to give five uh, little adjectives, little adjectival names for Epaphroditus uh, as he kind of opens his uh, thoughts on him. He says, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Uh, he calls him my brother, Adelphon, uh, a fellow worker, a soon ergon. He's, he's working with me in the gospel. A fellow soldier. Things kind of escalate here. He's my brother. He's working with me. And he's warring with me in the gospel. He's your, uh, your messenger, uh, which is where we get the idea that he was the actual deliverer of the first message. And your minister to my need. You, you've sent him in your stead. You couldn't all come, so you sent your boy E. And he's been all those things. He's been my brother. Uh, he's been my co-worker. He's the soldier for the gospel. Uh, your messenger and minister in your stead. He says in verse 26, he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Another sermon sidebar. Isn't that interesting? So, so I told you, Epaphroditus got sick. Uh, he longs for his family members in the church in Philippi. He wants to be back with them just like you and I after a while, miss each other if we're gone too long, right? Hope so. He wants to get back there. But did you know what his greatest stressor was? Not his own sickness. He wasn't worried about himself. What was he worried about? The news of his sickness reaching the ears of those who loved him and it being a cause for concern for them. I want to be like Epaphroditus in that. I'll get to the other thing. But I'd love to care more about how you're feeling than how I'm feeling in just about anything in life. Can everybody see how that's a selfless way to live? How, how much better would your family be, your marriage be, your workplace be if people adopted that Epaphroditan quality? I'm more concerned with how you're doing over the circumstances that I'm facing than I am concerned about how I'm doing in those circumstances. I don't think that's like self-denial or some kind of martyrdom or something like that. It's just like Timothy, this genuine concern that Epaphroditus has for those that God loves and that he's meant to love for his sake. He got distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, verse 27. Near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That mercy there is his healing. He's well enough to actually make this, this trip and return to you. 
I'm so grateful for his healing. Paul says, I'm so grateful because it would have been a sorrow upon a sorrow. I'm in prison. I'm making the best of it. God's good. Joy in those circumstances. But I don't know. Has anybody ever felt like that? Lord, if this, had, if this you know, shoe had dropped, I don't know how I'd make it through this one. This one's hard enough. Please, mercy in this. And, and God has, in this case, provided that for Paul. His mercy in the healing of his friend. Uh, I got a bunch of sermon sidebars. Uh, can you think just for a second in your mind about the ways that God has kept something bad from happening that you just kind of glossed over uh, because you're so focused on this other problem over here that you kind of missed the blessing that it was for this not to turn in the direction that it could have? Everybody gets that God is constantly at work around us. We usually focus on the ways that he's not working at least in our estimation. God needs to get busy in this. And we're so tunneled on whatever we're fussed out about, what matters most to us, that we've completely left, you know, uh, uh, hoping in him and trusting in him and, and aligning ourselves with his will. And, and certainly we've lost the ability to be grateful for the things that he's doing. Why? Because this is so bad over here, right? Can you think of the last time that God, in his mercy, kept something from getting worse or provided a solution? And have you adequately thanked him for that? And have you uh, rightly kept that on your screen? Is that window open as you continue through life so that you can look at it as you look at the other hard stuff that's coming up? Because if you can remember the blessings of God, the hard stuff's not as hard. Uh, In 2021, I'm going to get the date wrong. Uh, but a, a member of our church, Tobin Wolverton, and his wife Amanda got the news from uh, God. Uh, where do the where do the where's the University of Florida? Not that's the University of Florida, Gainesville. Thank you. I got there. They got word that their son Calhoun had been in a horrific car accident. He was crossing the street uh, late at night in Gainesville, and uh, a car just uh, took him out and uh, uh, just. Broke his body in ways that when I saw him, I just, I don't know if I've ever seen someone that busted up. Um, massive brain trauma. Massive brain trauma. Uh, so that was 2021. This past year, uh, Calhoun uh, graduated from the University of Florida with his degree in accounting. Uh, yeah. Uh, Uh, he drives his own car, and, and he's continuing to do his therapy and, and becoming, again, who he was. Uh, but that was not a guarantee. It was an answer to prayer. It was a blessing that all too quickly, like I see him when he's visiting and stuff, and I'm like, wow, man, miracle, and we're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But all too quickly, the, the full impact of that gets lost on me because I'm so busy with the next thing. And how am I going to handle this thing? Oh, yeah. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything I could ask or think. He's a God of mercy, and he restores. And I need to focus on those things as they occur. Verse 28, almost done. I am eager, more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious in keeping him from you. But the last thing I want to share with you today is this. Put your life on the line for the cause of Christ. Look what Paul says about Epaphroditus. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor guys like E. Why? Because they 
put their lives on the line for Jesus. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That's not a scold. Not everybody from Philippi could come. Epaphroditus was their representative. He was carrying the gift. He had the letter from them. And he got either sick on the way or sick while he was there. But he persisted in the mission for the sake of Christ and for the furtherance of the gospel through the the apostle Paul. He, He did his part, even though it put his own life in peril. Okay, we don't wake up thinking this most days that this could be our last day. We, we certainly don't wake up thinking, what would I give my life for? You ever thought that or been, you know, kind of hanging out and just conversation got deep enough to where that question came up? Who would you take a bullet for? Who would you sacrifice yourself for? Paul says, you know what? Esteem those who are willing to set aside their own lives for the sake of the mission and the work of Jesus Christ. Tough question to ask sometimes. But would we be numbered among those who would be willing to give our very lives for the cause of Jesus? It should not be answered quickly or flippantly. It needs real thought. Why? Because if the answer even hedges a little bit in the direction of no, there's more that we need to work out in this salvation that we've been given. We have been given this new life to live this new life for the sake of Christ. And even if that requires of us the life that he's given us, as it almost required Epaphroditus' his, and will eventually, spoiler alert, require Paul of his. That be the case. This is a life for me to live as Christ, for me to die as gain. And in both of those options, it's because he is first in my existence. Watch and learn from those who live on the bright side, people. Be like Tim. Have genuine concern for others. Put the interests of Jesus ahead of your own. Serve God as an encourager of his servants. Be like Epaphroditus. Put your life on the line for the cause of Christ. I asked you as we started this, uh, who has been your example? Can I encourage you this week to do like what Tim has done with Paul? Write him a note. Let them know what God has done for you through them. Encourage them. It'll be a lifeblood for them. Be their grateful member. The last question I have for you is this, though. Who does God need you to be an example for? I I just moved this because I I get nervous, twitchy like that. Uh, But someone put their faith in Jesus Christ because some other human took the time to live Jesus in front of them, to tell them about Jesus, and to lead them to faith in Jesus. That's how this stuff works. Everybody gets that, right? We're not like posting something on a, on a website and people are clicking a box. Humans are talking to humans and being the example of Christ to those that are in their lives. Who in your life needs you to be a Tim, to be an E, and by God's grace, as he leads you to who that is and leads you to the ways that you're meant to be their example, I'll pray that God gives you his mercy, his strength, his courage, his wisdom in doing all that they need for you to lead them to him. We sing our gratitude to our God as we leave this morning. Stand with me as we sing. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again Cause all that I
to celebrate baptisms this morning and we want to invite each of you to join us underneath the lid to celebrate those who have dedicated their lives to Christ and want to exhibit this in a way of following his example in baptism so if you will make your way to the lid as we continue to worship the Lord in this way we'll be so excited to worship with you otherwise we will see you next week at the same time 